Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Listen anytime you miss a service or want to hear a message again from our Sunday worship services and select special services. Lead Pastor Brian Bauer, as well as guest speakers, will bring messages that will help you encounter God, love people. Join us for virtual service on Facebook Live at Encounter Thrive. Or for those comfortable, we'd love to have you for our in-person services Sundays at 10. To learn about us, what we believe, how to connect, how to give, or how to find us, visit the all-new EncounterThrive.com. And now, here is our message. Good morning, everybody. I'm going to try to make it through this. Um, I'm uh, trying to figure out, you know, what to talk about on this last Sunday. Uh, I'm just going to actually go ahead and put this right here, just in preparation. Um, so I figured, talk about happiness. Everyone is searching for happiness, right? The World Happiness Report, which, by the way, is a real thing, voted Finland as the happiest country in the world for the fifth year in a row. One of the measures they used um, asked people to evaluate their lives and give it a rating on a scale of zero to ten, how satisfied they were on a couple of different things, you know, cost of living, healthcare, all those different aspects of just living in a society. Finland's three-year average was 7.8. 821, again on a 0 to 10 scale. The US ranked 16th on that list at 6.977. So Finland is the happiest country in the world for five years running now. It's this infatuation with happiness and the search for happiness is everywhere, right? There are books written about it, there are movies uh, made about it. There's a one film called Hector and the Search for Happiness. It's about this psychiatrist who goes on a world journey to try to find what makes people happy because he himself is trying to figure it out. I mean, it's in our society as America, right? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's, It's in us. Yet somehow... Happiness manages to elude us, right? Many spend their whole lives searching for it and putting time, effort, and money into it, and somehow they die never having found it at all. And there's a shift between, there's a shift from objective sources of happiness to a more subjective personal happiness, right? We've we've found happiness in ourselves, right? And that's connected to this idea of, oh, I'm living my truth. And if I live my own truth, regardless of what the truth actually is, then I will be happy. Happiness has lost all grounding and all foundation in anything that's solid. Living my truth will bring me happiness. So how do we find happiness? How do we find happiness in a world of pandemics, in a world of of social and political turmoil, of, of economic ups and downs. How do we find happiness in that and a myriad of other problems? Well, the Bible offers us an option, right? That shouldn't surprise you. The Bible is concerned with happiness too, believe it or not. Psalm 1 gives us two paths that people take in their search for happiness. So why don't you turn there with me this morning? Psalm 1. We're going to be looking at the whole psalm. And I'm going to be reading out of the NRSV this morning. I I really like the way uh, they translate this. Psalm 1, starting in verse 1. 
Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all they do they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads and pray before we, we dive in here. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that, that you have spoken clearly to us. God, as we sit here under your instruction, we pray that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to receive from you. Um, have your way this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen. That word, some of your translations might have, blessed are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. Blessed are the man. I think the King James translates it that way, and that's how I grew up memorizing it. And blessed is, um, it's got like, when you think of blessed, you think of like a blessing, and you think of like a religious context, like, hey, bless you. Sorry, that was offensive. Um, bless you, th- those sorts of things, right? But it's a different word that's used here, and I, that's why I read from the NRSV, because they translate it as happy. And that's really what it's, what, it's, uh, what it's talking about here. This word that's often blessed, uh, translated as blessed is associated with safety and salvation. The same word that's used in Deuteronomy 33:29. When it says, how happy are you, Israel? Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? He is a shield that protects you, the sword you boast in. And happiness, this word, is associated with justice too. Especially when you're the one on the injustice side of things and you're longing for God's justice and it finally comes through for you. Psalm 137 verse 8 says, O daughter Babylon, you devastator, how happy shall they be? who pay you back what you have done to us. If you don't remember, Babylon was the country, was the empire that conquered Israel. And the psalmist is saying, man, happiness is going to be ours one day when God puts this injustice to the right. And it's associated with God's reign, too. Isaiah 32, 20 says, Happy will you be who sow beside every stream, who let the ox and the donkey range freely. This word, this word is used all over the Psalms, and it, again, it starts off the Psalms, right? Happy is the man. And so this word happiness, it's, it's not only to do with internal feelings of, you know, being blessed, being content, being happy, you know, hashtag blessed, that sort of thing. It's not only to do with that, but it's also an external recognition on the part of other people. It's like, oh man, that man is blessed. That man is happy. Some, for some reason, his, his whole world is turning to shambles. This, it it's, makes no sense, but he is happy and he is content. He is blessed. So it's an internal and an external component. And that's how, again, the book of Psalms starts, describing a person who is happy. And it describes two paths. So let's take a, a look at the first path, right? The path of the wicked, starting in verse 1. The text describes a happy person using a negative example. Those who don't do X are happy. 
But if we read it another way, we can understand it to mean that people who choose to do X don't find happiness. People who choose to go down the path of the wicked will never find happiness that they're looking for. The advice of the wicked, the path of sinners, and the seat of scoffers and babblers. You notice the progression there, right? You, you first start off by following the wicked person's advice. Then you start living the way they do. That, 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 uh, that language of taking the path of sinners, that's the way the biblical authors use to describe um, how a person lived their life. A person is living the life in a way that sinners do. And then finally, you go from following someone's advice to living the kind of life that they do to being comfortable and sitting in their seats. There's a progression there, right? It's a warning against intimate association with what's ungodly, with a way that's apart from God and what he loves. You go from listening to the ungodly to becoming one of them. But that progression, right, doesn't happen overnight. It's not a flip of the coin. One night you're good, and then the next morning you're, you know, in the seat of scoffers and you're living a wicked life. It happens over a long period of time, and it involves numerous Numerous choices to find happiness outside of who God is, outside of what God has ordained, outside of what God has established. See, happiness apart from God is fleeting. Some people try to find their happiness in money, but their contentment only lasts for a certain amount of time, right? Eventually, that amount of money is too little for them now, and they strive after more and more and more. What does the scripture tell us? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people try to find happiness in their relationships, whether it's friendships or romantic relationships, but when those change or those end or those, you know, sour, the void that began that, that longing is still there. So they seek another relationship and then another and then another, and it's a, it's a vicious cycle. Still, some people try to find happiness in the, approval, in the approval of others, but we all know how quickly that can change, right? Presidential approval ratings testify to that. Imagine how much more at a personal, individual level. So happiness apart from God is fleeting. Not only that, happiness apart from God is downright dangerous, Right, let's, let's just take those scenarios that I just listed out all the way to their logical end, their worst case scenarios, the end of that progression that we talked about, right? Money, that love of money, that always longing for more, more, more. It drives a person to do unspeakable acts, illegal acts, and it oftentimes ends up in downright theft. Again, relationships. That longing for relationships and that, that discontent in a relationship drives people to, eventually, affairs and broken relationships. And approval. We hear horror stories of people in Hollywood doing unspeakable things to gain the approval of directors, critics. Things that, at the start, I'm sure they said, I would never do that. But that longing for approval, that longing for happiness, that longing for contentment drove them to that end. Money starts with the pushing of boundaries 
and moral ways to earn money, right? Relationships, that starts with entertaining the idea of being with someone else. And approval, it starts with trying to find small ways to earn other person's approval. So then if happiness can't be found in the advice of the wicked, the path of the sinners, or the seat of the scoffers, as the psalmist says, then where can we find it? And the psalmist offers us an alternative path. It's path number two. It's the path of God's instruction. All right, let's read that, that verse again. Verse two, their delight is in the law of the Lord. Those who take delight in God's instructions are happy. That, that word law puts maybe some negative connotations in your mind, right? Just rules of do's and don'ts to follow in order to please God. Um, a, lot of, a lot of times it's better to, to kind of read that and understand that as the Lord's instruction. It, it came to be in, in the context of Israel that the Lord's instruction became the rules of the society, right? That's why it's translated as law. But broadly speaking, it's God's instruction to people who he has chosen to be his people, to be his sons and daughters, not simply do's and don'ts. Right? You parents, maybe you, you understand this. You've gotten certain rules for your family that maybe are particular to your family but aren't in place in another family. Right? So an example, I grew up with no shoes in the house. I was very Asian of our family. I know some of you have no shoes rules. Some of you don't care. It's not right or wrong. It's different. Right? Or maybe um, some parents are more strict in terms of screen time, iPads, TVs, what have you. I only... I grew up watching TV, what, two, two days out of the week, mom and dad? Friday and Saturday, that was it. Some of you are more relaxed. Again, not right or wrong, different. I, this was something I found interesting, and I heard just because now we've got Judah playing on the play, playgrounds and stuff, but uh, some parents are really strict about kids going down only one direction on a slide. <laughs> and their kid tries to go up, climb up the slide to go down, and the mom freaks out. Or the dad freaks out, right? And some parents just don't care. Fine, be creative. Go up and down the slide. Who cares? Right? Again, they're not necessarily right or wrong. They're just different. But the thing with those rules is that they tell you a little bit about the kind of parent that person is, the kind of family that they have, their values, what they hold important, what they place uh, high on, on the ladder of importance, what they value. And if we take that same idea and put it on God's law, then what we understand is something that uh, one of my old professors said, the law is the transcript of the nature of God. When you understand his instruction, you understand him. And so it makes sense then, right, why the, the happy person, the person who is blessed and happy, takes delight in the law. It's not a drag to him or her. It's because it's, it's the way he or she gets to know who God is, who he is, what he values, what he loves. And this person meditates on it continually. This word meditate, it's not the emptying of the mind like you, you get in a lot of Eastern religions, right? It's focus, direct focus on a single idea. Meditating on scripture, meditating on God's nature. Thinking about it consistently internalizing it. And really, this can be broadened from the law and God's instruction to all of Scripture, right? Why? Because what, what, does, 
what does 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 tell us? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What scripture is, is Paul talking about there in, in, in his letter to Timothy? Well, the New Testament wasn't written yet. It was, in the being, it was being in the process of being written. So he was talking about the Old Testament. Even the New Testament church, the earliest Christians, held God's law to be of utmost value. Second Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God breathed out his law. God breathed out his instruction. If the law is the transcript of the nature of God, then the rest of Scripture that he breathed out, the rest of Scripture that he caused to be written, is connected to him in a similar way. We not only read about how, he, how God has acted in history, but we read about who he is when we open the pages of our Bibles. So happiness is found in God's instruction. Happiness is found in Scripture because in it we get to know him. Understanding and living in his, in his instruction is the context in which true happiness can be experienced. Right? We, we often get into this idea of, oh, no, I need to achieve this, 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 and follow these rules in order for God to love me. That was never the case. If you read, at the, if you read in Exodus of, of, of the account of the Israelites at Sinai, what came first, God's calling or God's law? I'm going to answer it for you. It was God's calling. He called them his children. He called them his people first before he established the law. So let's get out of our heads, that thinking out of our heads of, I need to do this. Or maybe the Old Testament is just a rule, you know, before Jesus came, it was a list of rules that the Israelites have to follow, and then God would accept them. No, God accepted his people, and because of his acceptance, he gave them, these are the instructions that will give you the happiest life in this relationship. Happiness is found in God's instruction. And that's the context in which true happiness can be experienced. The mistake is, we often, we often make the mistake of putting happiness, though, as our goal. We put the cart before the horse, right, if that makes sense. When I was learning how to ride a bike, I kept uh, looking down at the front wheel. I don't know if you guys this problem. You, some of you might have to think back more than others. Um, it'll, fight. it'll hit you on the way home. Um, I would look down at the wheels of my bike to try to keep it straight. I knew you had to keep your, you know, the bike wheels straight in order to, in order to ride a two-wheeler. But my focus was so much on keeping the wheels straight that it actually threw me off balance instead of my focusing on what was ahead of me, right? And it was only when I pedaled with my eyes looking up and ahead of me that I was able to keep my balance and keep the wheels straight. I had flipped the order, right? The goal was to balance myself on the bike first, not keep the wheel straight. Keeping the wheel straight would come as a result of my keeping balance and learning how to balance myself. Happiness is a great byproduct, but a terrible goal. I'm going to say that again. Happiness is a great byproduct, but a terrible goal. Scripture tells us that when we make the law of the Lord our focus, we make that our goal. Happiness comes with that. 
Imagine if Paul, the Apostle Paul, made happiness and contentment his goal. The man was shipwrecked, the man was flogged, the man was imprisoned, the man was left for dead. Yet somehow, in Philippians 4.11, he was able to write, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. From prison, no less. Man, imagine if he had made happiness and contentment his goal. How different would our scriptures have been? Thank God Paul didn't do that, right? So then, what does this happiness look like? The psalmist goes on in verses 3 and 4 to talk about a tree planted by rivers of water. And he compares it to the chaff, right? So the tree we kind of understand, but the chaff is maybe a little bit outside of our understanding as a, as a modern society. But basically, you, you've got the, the grain of the seed, right? And you've got to grind it up. And the husk of the seed, the outer layer, you've got to get rid of that in order for it to be usable. So you toss it up in the air. Usually it was a windy day. And the wind would carry away the chaff because you don't use that. You use the seed. And so that's what he, the psalmist compares it to. Right? Let's, let's read that verse, actually. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. So again, that comparison between a tree and a chaff. Notice the language. It's deeply rooted. This person is deeply rooted by streams of living water. See, being rooted like a tree, it takes time, right? A a solid oak tree takes years, sometimes decades, to grow as big as it is, to grow as strong as it is, before you can put a tree house on it. You don't want to put a tree house on a sapling, right? You've got to let it take root. And that's the kind of timing it takes here, right? And understanding God's word, understanding his instruction, his law, takes time too, I had an old Bible college professor. He, um, he, was a, he was a vet. He fought in Vietnam. And then he went off to and completed his PhD and came and taught at Moody. And he would always start off class with a devotional. And usually, a lot of times, it was pour over from his quiet time that morning. He called them his QTs, his quiet times. And I'm not going to do it here, but he had a thick Mississippi accent. And it was like shrill. Um, and so it was really entertaining just sitting under devotions with him. But he would talk about how he fir- when he first started, he understood the, the need to have a quiet time with the Lord. Um, and he didn't have any other time later in the day, so he would have to wake up earlier in the day. So he started by getting up at 6 a.m. before his wife and his kids would wake up. So he said, oh man, I would sit on this passage of Scripture, I'd meditate on it, and then I said, I'm going to set a goal, 15 minutes, God. I'm going to give you 15 minutes of my focus and my heart before I start the day. Um, and then he said, I mean, after, after a week of that, I said, I, I got to get more of this. 15 minutes isn't enough. So he would wake up earlier. Instead of 6 o'clock, he woke up at 5.30. He said, oh, man, but even that's not enough. So he would get up earlier and earlier and earlier. And eventually, he got to the point when the man was waking up at 4 a.m. to spend time with God. Three hours before he headed out the door. Man, to have that kind of commitment and to find that much happiness in sitting in God's instruction. What a life. See, being rooted like a tree takes time. Understanding God's word takes time too. 
those hours that my professor spent in the morning before the sun rose rooted him deeply. And what's more, God's instruction is a source of nourishment, but what we have in God's instruction and what that gives us is happiness even in hardship. We can have happiness in hardship. Let's look at verse 6 again. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. In verse 3b, let's jump back as well. Their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. What happens when we follow the path of the righteous, the path that supposedly leads to happiness, but it's not what we expected? Right? I'm sure Paul maybe at some moment thought, you know, I'm following God's call on my life. I'm, I'm sure he's going to protect me. I'm sure it's going to be an easy route. Maybe. But I'm sure that, that idea went away very quickly. See, Jesus talked about it himself, right? In, in um, the night before he died, he said, in this life you will have tribulation, but do not fear, I've overcome the world. So what happens when the path of the righteous leads to to something unexpected. We've got some examples of that, right? The book of Job. The first few chapters are a man who was doing everything right, doing everything by the book, following God's instruction. The man made sacrifices in case his kids forgot to make sacrifices. That's a good parent. But somehow, he still went through turmoil. His life became a living hell. Or let's look at David. The famous King David, right, who was anointed to be king, but he spent decades of his life running for his life from Saul, years before he even took the throne. And that was after Samuel had said, you're going to be the next king of Israel. You're going to lead God's people. How, does he, how did he make sense of that? I already talked about Paul's multiple imprisonments. And then we also have Jesus, right? I mean, he was God, yet he died on the cross. What happens in those situations? Well, let's look back at the tree illustration again. Verse, the, the second half of verse 3. It's talking about those, that water that the tree is planted by. See, being by water causes deep roots in a tree, right? Have you ever seen a weeping willow? Right? Those trees are, have thick trunks. It's not easy to knock those down, but you'll always find them by a body of water. See, being by water causes deep roots to grow. And the tree may bend and sway in the storms that it experiences, but it's never knocked down. See, when you're planted by living water, your roots grow deep. And when storms of life come raging in, you're going to bend, you're going to be swayed maybe, but you're not going to break. Because your roots run deep. The psalmist also talks about that the leaves don't wither. What is that talking about? Well, it's talking about external forces, external factors don't determine your internal state. There could be a drought around that tree, but if it's a healthy, strong tree with deep roots, it will suck up all the nourishment that it needs to produce good fruit. Those leaves don't wither. And so for you, 
when you run into dry seasons, when you run into the season of turmoil and anguish, man, you still produce fruit. You don't wither up and die because your roots run deep. That same Bible college professor who I talked about with his QTs, his quiet times, um, he was already a professor at Moody at this point, but uh, his son committed suicide. And the faculty at Moody were amazed because the, the next day after his son's funeral, he went back to work. It's like, I, some of the faculty actually got mad at him, like, take time to grieve. Your son just, you know, just committed suicide. But he had this understanding that God had called him to do a, a work. And even though he was mourning and grieving on the inside, those roots ran so deep that it produced a joy and a contentment in him, even in that scenario that others, even Bible professors and theology professors, could not understand. His roots ran so deep that he was still producing fruit even in his own season of drought, in even his, his own season of turmoil. He developed these roots from meditating on God's word, and that kept him from breaking when he was swayed. The psalmist ends with this, God keeps watch over the righteous. This word to keep watch over, it's actually translated in multiple different ways. It's the word yada, it's the word to know. It's the same word that's used in Genesis when it talks about how Adam knew his wife Eve. It's talked about all, it's used in all over the Psalms when it talks about uh, God knowing um, his children. It's that same idea. It's a kind of, it's a pretty broad word. It could mean simple, just head knowledge, like two plus two is four. You can know that. You can yada that. We can also talk about intimate knowledge and understanding. And in this context, it's an intensive involvement with an object, a deep concern for that thing, a deep concern for that person. The Lord God watches over the way of the righteous. That's why in Psalm 23, later on, the psalmist declares with, with so much gusto, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What happened before that in the psalm? He's talking about walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And he ends with, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, the psalmist was certain that because God is with him, goodness and mercy would come too. If you are with me, then I'm sure goodness and mercy will come with you. I'm a fan of old hymns. And um, there's, a, there's a hymn titled, His Eyes on the Sparrow. I think it really sums up so much of what we're talking about here, of, of being happy and content, even in these situations. It goes like this, why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart feel lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, a constant friend is he, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. 
I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Do you have that kind of certainty? The kind of certainty that says, my happiness is not tied to what I'm experiencing or what I'm feeling, but my happiness comes from knowing my God, understanding his instruction and understanding him, and I know that he watches over me. See, the search for happiness is, is fruitless. Knowing God brings true happiness. Knowing God through his word, his instruction, brings true happiness. And everyone in this room is in a different spot right now, right? Some are wondering where to find happiness. You're, you're still on that search. Some of you know and understand what we just talked about, and your roots are growing deeply. Some of you maybe are in that season of hardship, in that season of turmoil. Some are in a major transition. I speak from experience. Man, if there is if there is anything that I want you to walk away from, knowing this, delight in the Lord's instruction, meditate on it day and night, and you will find a happiness that can never be taken away. I found that happiness, I know my, oh boy, here it comes. For the season that God called us to here, I found that happiness here. And it's taken, it's brought Hannah and I through seasons of doubt, highs and our lows we've shared with you. Here it comes. <laughs> Some of you may be waffling right now whether or not this is a church for you. And I can tell you from experience, this is a good church. These are good pastors. These are pastors who understand the leading of the Holy Spirit, but being grounded in understanding God's word, in understanding God's instruction, because that's the way to know him. So if you're still wondering if this is the church God's calling you to, and I encourage you, plant roots deeply here, and you will grow, and God is using this church to grow his kingdom, and it's been an honor to be a part of it. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We hope this message spoke to you and helped you grow in your knowledge of and love for God. Visit us online anytime at EncounterThrive.com and reach out with questions, prayer requests, or comments. We hope to see you for our in-person services in Lockport, Illinois, Sundays at 10. Yeah.
so long.